Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Blitz Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, game recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. Welcome to Third Iron Blitz 397. Oscar Lopez in the house. We're going to have a big show, two hours. We're also going to have special guest uh, Rich Daniel of the DC Divas here in about 15 minutes talking DC Divas 2022 plus the DC Divas Hall of Fame tradition in the WFA. We're also going to be talking uh, college football in the first to 15 minutes here before the interview. Then we're going to dive into the international news with Mark Simone and Terry Lister. And then we're going to finish up the last uh, 45 minutes strong with the NFL Week 8 plus NFL Week 9 preview and key games that are happening in the NFL upcoming this next week. So really, really jam-packed two hours. I want to invite everybody to the hub at facebook.com forward slash gridiron beauties. That is the place to be before you come here on Tuesday. Get the lowdown on everything that's happening in Mexico, everything that's happening overseas in Australia both everything that's happening in the sport in general in terms of news and updates. So check it out at the hub. So don't forget to go there and get started. You also you go to the uh, hub shop now tab. Uh, it really helps us out with the uh, sales. If you don't go directly to uh, the Zazzle shop at zazzle.com forward slash grand beauties, go right there to our Facebook page, click on the shop now tab. It'll take you exactly to the page helps us out with our clicks and reach and everything else, so really appreciate it. You can check out some of the cool stuff that we have at the Hub if you haven't uh, checked it out yet at all. Um, it's going to be pretty much the Yes, I'm a Girl, I Play Football shirt under $30 in different styles. The price varies basically by the shirt style. And then you also have the uh, Always Earned, Never never Given shirt as well, the No Joke Football logo shirts plus the Great Iron uh, Beauty's logo shirts as well, the Football Soul shirt, and the most popular shirt we sell is the Not A Boys Game shirt. So check out the all the shirts up there under $30, depending on your shirt type that you select. It could be under $20. So check it out. Go to Zazzle.com, for slash Grand Beauties, or go right there to the Hub and go to the Shop Now tab. If you are, are using a code, use the code ZazzleThanks for 15% off. If there's a larger code, check out all the stuff right there. Use that code to take advantage of more savings. So, all right, let's head into the college football uh, weekend here. And we're going to go to college football weekend here with uh, our own Holly Custis. So let's start it off now. Welcome back to Holly's Corner. Here are some of the most interesting results in college football from the weekend. Number one, Georgia 34, Florida 7. Florida kept this game close for about a quarter, and then the wheels fell off. Georgia did what they wanted to on the ground, and ended the game with 193 yards rushing. Bennett had two picks, but that was offset by Florida's two picks. The difference was that Georgia was able to convert the turnovers into points, and Florida was not. That is why they say defense wins championships. Number two, Cincinnati 31, Tulane 12. Tulane actually had the lead at halftime, but the Bearcats pulled away in the second half. It seems Cincinnati might be getting bored with their schedule, which ranks 109th in the country. They are still a good team, but will the committee overlook that schedule? Number five, Ohio State 33, number 20, Penn State 24. Penn State made this interesting for a while, but Ohio State wore them out. 
Penn State's run D was great in the first half, but got diced in the second. Henderson ended up with 152 yards on the ground and a touchdown. When Penn State pressured Stroud, good things happened, but when they didn't, and ended up in big points. Clifford, not quite fully healthy, put in a gutsy performance, but it wasn't enough. Number 8, Michigan State 37. Number 6, Michigan 33. Oh, Michigan. They just can't get the big game. They had the Spartans in a hole until the fourth quarter and simply couldn't get out of their own way. Miscues and turnovers did them in, and Michigan State took advantage. Kenneth Walker had a day with 197 yards and five touchdowns for the Spartans. Wisconsin 27, number 9, Iowa 7. Wisconsin's defense showed up in this game and held Iowa to only 24 yards rushing on 30 carries. That's an average of .8 yards a carry. Wisconsin gets a huge confidence booster after a disappointing season so far. Iowa drops back down to earth and has to try to recover quickly for the last few weeks of the season. Number 18, Auburn 31, number 10, Ole Miss 20. Auburn reached out to a solid lead in this one, forcing Ole Miss to play from behind. But Auburn was able to use their run game, 270 yards rushing, and good clock management to bleed this one away in the second half. This might be an opportunity missed for Heisman hopeful Matt Corral. All right, let's bring in uh, Coach Terry Lister into the mix here. Uh, congratulations, Coach. Ohio State takes care of business here against Penn State, as we had talked about last week. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. I, I actually watched most of that game, and um, it was stressful. Uh, like Holly said, Ohio State didn't pull away until the end, um, but that was that was also because we, we went for a fourth down instead of taking field goals, so – um, kudos to Penn State for making it a game, but also thankful that my Buckeyes pulled it out. What a strange week. We go from uh, nine nine overtimes to these kind of hot-bedded games. Uh, I think nobody was surprised that Georgia took care of business against Florida for the most part, yeah. especially as she said, you know, they're not converting what their opportunities, and Georgia just took advantage of them. So that was really impressive. Um, Cincinnati, you think Cincinnati, uh, to her point, I really think the rankings, they just came out. Uh, Georgia, obviously, unanimous number one in, bo- in, in both the USA and the AFCA coaches poll. So there's no surprise there that they're obviously the top dog. Um, that, but Cincinnati uh, here um, in the rankings, you think that their schedule, as she pointed out, the schedule being so weak in that sense that maybe it's going to hinder them uh, you know, for a, maybe a, a top bowl position? Yeah, I mean, we've seen this before, right? We've seen in the past when there's been teams that have ran the table and then because they had a pretty weak schedule, they weren't able to make the playoff. And so it's not unprecedented. Um, but, I mean, time will tell. It all depends on how things go um, with the teams ahead of them. I think the first the first uh, bowl rankings have been the number six, right? Yes. Yeah, so if they're number six, obviously they need to creep up two spots to get in. Um, the good news for them is Alabama probably will be playing Georgia, and obviously Ohio State is playing um, Michigan State. And so you have se- several teams playing each other in the top f- four or five, and so that will help out. But, um, you know, it just, it just all depends. If they, if since, I mean, since the first things first, Cincinnati, Cincinnati has to win out. If Cincinnati is able to win out, then – 
you know, we'll see if they can make top four, but you got to take care of business first. Yeah, and I think one surprise is Oklahoma at number eight. The Sooners played uh, close games against lesser competition, uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's number 11, Oklahoma State, number 12, Baylor. Uh, but besides Cincinnati, independent, uh, what, Brigham Young and Fresno State and San Diego State, so a lot of these teams in the, like, the 10 to the 20 are going to get some bowl mm-hmm. recognition, but they're not going to be in the top bowls per se. But yeah. they're going to get, obviously, yeah. to go to a bowl, which is nice. Um, Coach, what did you think of uh, Michigan, Michigan State? We, we said it, right? It was going to be one of these dogfight rivalries. And um, as mm-hmm. she pointed out as well, uh, Michigan, I mean, with Harbaugh, they have not had much success. And then, you know, Michigan State, five touchdowns by this kid. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that running back for Michigan State obviously had a crazy game. Um, since I'm an Ohio State fan, any time that Michigan loses is good, is good with me. Um, so I, I so you were drinking up. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't too upset about that one. But it's interesting, man. As far as the Big Ten goes, you know, when you have two teams that are top ten um, and undefeated go at it, and, and it ends up coming down to you know a one score game or less than a score, it makes you wonder. Uh, to me, that, that that means one of two things. Either they are two juggernauts that went at it and one one of them barely won, or they're both obviously pretty evenly matched, but they're a tier below a team like Ohio State. And so time will tell because we played Michigan and Michigan State, um, which one of those is true. But it makes you wonder in the meantime. At least it makes me wonder. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at this point, Georgia and Alabama are likely to face each other for the um, SEC title. Uh, your right, Buckeyes right. and Michigan State have a scheduled game against, uh, I think, uh, number 20, Oklahoma, which will be a big 12 test. And then Cincinnati must mm-hmm. get through the American Athletic, which will include games against SMU and likely Houston. So they're the mm-hmm. top the top 10 in terms of the rankings, um, that's going to be kind of change, I guess, if you want to if you want to say between now and then, but between now and January, of course. Uh, at Lucas Oil in Indianapolis. Um, so the top 25 currently, Georgia 8-0, Alabama 7-1 and at number two. So Alabama jumps from middle of the pack in terms of the top 10 back up to where they probably do belong at this point, number two. Uh, Michigan State 8-0. That's a very good statement game considering how they took care of business against Michigan. Oregon 7-1 and out in the west in the pack. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, Ohio State 7-1, right there, right next to Oregon. Cincinnati 8-0. Michigan 7-1. Oklahoma 9-0. And then uh, we start to creep in where Wake Forest and Notre Dame 10. So opportunity here for uh, the next couple weeks, which is, what, six weeks out, opportunity for uh, this, you know, top 10 class to really make a statement here, whether the Bearcats go from, you know, dropping from two to six, are they going to drop to ten based on their strength of schedule in that regard if they don't mm-hmm. win out completely, to your point? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, time will tell. I feel very conflicted about their first bowl rankings. I know how I was to see Oregon at number four. I personally don't agree with that. <laughs> um, I took a look at their schedule before I got jumped on the podcast and I don't know, man. Oregon beat like four different four different teams uh, by like seven points, like 
They've had a lot of close games this year. Granted, they've won mm-hmm. almost all of them, I think, except for Stanford. Um, but when you're barely beating teams over and over and over, these aren't top-tier teams like Boise State, um, some other teams that really weren't like high, that high rank, and you're beating them by one score. Um, I don't think that says a lot to, you know, kind of the, uh, the pedigree of your team. But maybe I'm just being biased. Maybe it's because I'm an Ohio State fan, and Ohio State has been able to win their games a little more decisively. Um, but the silver lining for me is that, you know, our, our, our um, how the story ends is in our own hands. Since we're going to be playing Michigan State, we have a, we have a chance to take care of business and, you know, punch our ticket into the, the playoff, hopefully. So that's that's the silver lining. But honestly, man, I, the only one I agree with is Georgia at number one. The rest of them, I think, are all debatable. I think I would be having an upset upset loss to at least the A&M, A&M, right? Yep. Yeah. They lost to A&M. Number three, um, they have Oregon at four. I just told you what I think of that. And then at three, who do they have it? Number three? No, Ohio State's five and Cincinnati's six. Who am I forgetting? No, you're good. Uh, the top – I think the top 10 is probably where it should be at now in the first poll. Yeah. We'll see how it works out for the next two weeks and see how that shuffles. Yeah. But let's uh, sure. bring in Holly's uh, week 10 take before we uh, go into mm-hmm. the interview with uh, DC Divas owner, Rich Daniel. Here are the best matchups for college football for next week. Number six, Ohio State at Nebraska. This could be an interesting one for the Buckeyes as Nebraska is absolutely desperate for a big time win. Scott Frost seems to have a warmer seat right now, and an upset win here would buy him more time. But does Nebraska have enough offense to do so? It's not encouraging. Number five, Michigan State at Purdue. Purdue has already played spoiler this year, and this is a classic trap game opportunity for the Spartans. Fresh off their emotional win against Michigan, they have to try to not overlook Purdue in a letdown game. Number 12, Auburn at number 13, Texas A&M. This should be an interesting matchup of second-tier teams in the SEC. These teams are essentially fighting for bowl positioning at this point, and both have an opportunity to make a statement win. LSU at number three, Alabama. LSU has had an up-and-down season so far, and with the party of Coach O in the future, LSU has nothing to lose, which is dangerous. Bama is looking to solidify their playoff potential seeding with a statement win. Number seven, Oregon at Washington. This is a rival game. Washington has not had a strong year. Their offense has been stale. Oregon had one of their most complete games last weekend against Colorado. Can Oregon ride that momentum into Seattle and pad their playoff resume? All right. Good question, Terry, by uh, Holly here. Can Oregon ride the momentum and and beat Washington, or are they going to get an upset here? (laughs) I wish I could tell you, man. Um, I'm not sure. Like I said, I'm not a – I'm not sold that Oregon's a top four team because mm-hmm. they've had so many seven point victories this season. Um, but I mean, a win is a win, and even if your games are close and you find a way to win, good teams find a way to win, um, and bad teams find a way to lose. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens. But I'll be inter- Same interested thing with to see. Ohio State against Nebraska, so can be you know Ohio State cannot have a letdown here. They got to keep you know steam rolling. So hopefully that's going to be the case against Nebraska. Michigan State taking on Purdue. 
same concept there. Uh, they, if they want to get into that bowl, higher bowl ranking, they got to take care of business here. Uh, Auburn against mm-hmm. Texas A&M. And then Alabama shouldn't have a problem with LSU, but, you know, stranger things have happened, of course. But Alabama, mm-hmm. for the most part, probably uh, you can just pencil in the win now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Alabama is one of those teams you can you can assume certain things, and I feel the same way about Ohio State, actually. Um, no disrespect to Nebraska or their fans, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not too worried about that game on Saturday. But – I would say Michigan State needs to come to play versus Purdue. Uh, Purdue's one of those sneaky teams that if you don't show up, they can beat you. So hopefully they don't look past them right. because I would be a really big disappointment. Let's go into the uh, Monkey Knife Five Huddle here, and then we're going to bring in uh, the owner of the DC Divas, WFA uh, owner, Rich Daniel is the fastest growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy to play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. Monkey Night Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50. All right, guys, uh, go to monkeynightfight.com, use the code NJF, get up to $100 match now. So a $5 free play, check it out, NBA nightly, NFL weekly, uh, Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night. So check it out, monkeynightfight.com. Use the code NJF to get started. So let's bring in uh, DC Divas owner, uh, Rich Daniel. Rich, how you doing? Oscar, doing very well, thank you. Appreciate the uh, chance doing, to sir? visit. and uh, Doing fine, thank you. Awesome. Thanks for making the time. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We've got a uh, busy night, right? Uh, game six, World Series. We've got election uh, happening here in Virginia and also other places, of course. And lot, lots, of, uh, <laughs> lots of action, shall we say. Well, let's go Braves. That's all i got to tell you as a Dodger fan. So that's my stance right there. Well, you're, you're doing well so far. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're doing good. Um, I think exactly. they had a good, good run. But, you know, Atlanta, good pitching, and then the bats got hot when they needed to get hot, and the acquisitions, I mean, they made the right call, the right moves, and here we are. So uh, hopefully uh, they ride the uh, the championship back to, you know, Georgia. Well, you know, it's good to hear Holly Custis checking in, uh, one of the great uh, people in this game on uh her perspectives on football in general, right? Not just the women's game, but the pro, the college. Uh, there, there's a lot of good things going on. And, of course, you know, even here at the uh, – certainly at the professional level, uh, Washington football seems to find its way into the headlines one way or another. Uh, uh, Rich, keeps, keeps things happening on that level you, as well. It's, it's Dan Snyder. I don't think it should surprise anybody now <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> Well, you know, it just the the bylines change, but the uh, the uh, the tag to who it might be the root cause seems to all go back to that same uh, same issue. Yes, but uh, you know, it's good to hear Holly. She's uh, obviously been a, a terrific part of the women's game, and uh, still is, and that's um, the broadcasting side included. So. Happy to be here tonight and talk about uh, whatever you'd like to talk about in terms of women's football. Yeah, I wanted to bring you on because uh, we want to just kind of get an update. The Divas, 
Uh, not such a explosive season like in the past with some injuries, um, <laughs> you know, with uh, the running back getting injured there uh, severely towards the last pass of the season. And obviously Amanda getting injured too. So uh, where are we at yes. in terms of the 2022 season at this point with all the tryouts and things that have happened so far uh, as we prepare for the next season? Appreciate the question and opportunity to give people an update on DeAsia and Amanda as well. You know, it's um, we've been at this for a couple of decades now, and we've never had a season or even a game uh, like that where both of those players, as well as others, um, fell to injury. And, of course, in the case of DeAsia, uh, most often associated with what happened to Bo Jackson, which ended mm-hmm. his career. Uh, the good news is uh, all these years later and also the type of athlete um, and the level of care she received, not only from the physicians, but also, of course, the Boston Renegades. And I don't know how well that is known, but the outstanding efforts that they made to uh, help with her mom and staying and all the other things that you can imagine of being away in the hospital for roughly a month uh, and beginning your rehab. So, they provided any number of comforting and good things, not only to the family, uh, but friends and DeAsia. And then again, the medical care she got there was absolutely first rate from the time she left the field uh, all the way through. Uh, her determination has been incredible. Uh, I've been around sports, you know, literally my whole life, and I've seen some incredible things up close and personal. Uh, you know, Alex Smith, we go back to the Washington football team. I think, you know, from afar, that had to be perhaps the most amazing comeback that I'd have ever seen, uh, in, and certainly at the professional football level. And on a different type of injury, but every bit as serious in so many ways, uh, we've been witness to now uh, just about six months later. It happened on May 5. Um, she is back working out. Uh, she is back. Uh, her rehab, uh, I would consider to, by any stretch to be ahead of what anyone could expect. Uh, but I'll go back to the quality of the person, the determination of the athlete. Uh, and again, all those types of things that she was able to thankfully have right after it happened. Uh, Amanda Congelity, same game. Uh, her surgery, uh, again, with a first-rate uh, doctor who's worked with the Washington Nationals and other people, uh, her rehab is going well. And, you know, I, I, again, I've seen amazing things in sports, but I think maybe some even more amazing things in women's football uh, since I've been doing this. And I don't see any reason why people should doubt um, their capability, uh, ability, to come back and be part of the 2022 season. Um, you mentioned tryouts. We've had, uh, we'll have our fourth one uh, on November 13th. Uh, these have been very well attended and uh, we're very happy about new people that are involved. that have already been asked to be on the team. And then uh, some new people that uh, we hope to see uh, at the next one. Our workouts have been great. Um, we've been going in multiple locations and with, different types of training and that's all been positive. Um, so I would say, you know, we've been through the toughest time, I think for, you know, even for the franchise, you know, even for the Boston renegades, it, it, you know, and you win your championship, 
it was not an easy time, right? And it was not an easy year of the season before losing a season. So for all of us to come through, you know, all of this uh, into a, uh, a better spot in so many different ways, um, I think is just a testimony to uh, the will, right? The type of sacrifice and dedication and passion that, that I've seen for a long time. And, and frankly, is often when people ask me why, um, that's really part of the biggest reason I answer is that it's, it's what I feel and see and respect and recognize uh, that has happened in the past and then it's still happening uh, all over the world. So uh, I, I'm excited for 2022. We've still got some 2021 left, right, two full months. Uh, and we hope that things keep moving in a direction that um, will provide not only a more competitive 2022, but just, you know, a better experience overall for, for the people that are in it and for the people that support and watch us and, you know, uh, the people that play us. They expect us to bring a good game, uh, and, and we'll do everything we can to, to honor that as well. Uh, Rich? All that uh, changes that have happened in the WFA for the last, what, three years, now with bigger sponsorships, you got, you're in Canton for the next five years. I mean, you guys have always been kind of like a focus point right there in D.C., but now it's kind of like the league stepped up to another level and being at the Hall of Fame game, uh, a stadium there for the next four years, it's really going to give more of a spotlight to some of the top franchises in this uh in the wfa including boston yourselves and other franchises in terms of the different tier levels in division two division three and you know like the big storylines of nevada and uh, derby city as an example so uh can you speak to just the state of the game from last year in terms of you know being in canton the excitement there in canton and looking forward to obviously returning to canton in 2022 (laughs) well you're right about excitement and you also have to think about, again, the time frame of going from not having a season, right, and not knowing if you're going mm-hmm. to have another game or season and when that might be, to all of a sudden the next season, you're in Canton at the Hall of Fame, <laughs> right? Um, and I joked around there at the Hall of Fame. I said, well, it only took 20 years. Or if you think about the Columbus Pace Setters and, and others, the Dan- Los Angeles Dandelions, yeah. it only has taken 50 yeah. years right, to have this happen, yep. um, so to speak. And so many people have put effort into it, whether they play in the WFA or not. I mean, to me, anybody who's coached or played uh, or done anything to promote the sport, wherever it is, it, it, there's a piece of you in Canton, whether your team is playing there or whether you're in that league or not, um, that's a really good thing for the sport. And you're right about how, whether it's national corporations or other entities, uh, broadcast, et cetera, that then look at the overall picture a bit differently as it has happened for any other sport, right? Whether it's usually a broadcast partner that takes it forward and then allows for, uh, you know, the Budweiser's and any Amazon's and anybody else in the world to come in and then support it with advertising and marketing. Ours is a little bit more cause-oriented, still of that are, you know, ROI or some other things that may be so critically looked at in the past that those companies didn't participate, 
that they now see enough movement and metrics and support and other things like this that, you know, as I said earlier, respect and recognition. I mean, that, that's the thread of, uh, I take from what you're doing. Uh, you've, you've respected and recognized the women and the sport itself to, to invest years in the time that you've spent, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to build and make people aware. So these are all good things to me and the momentum uh, things that are happening for our league, the overall growth of more teams and more leagues, more people having ownership opportunities, uh, more investment uh, in other areas of growth. It's not just about uh, providing people to the NFL, right, who have had great work experience, playing experiences inside of our world, and then now have this perfect set of qualifications to be there, but you're also seeing the broadening at the high school level of coaches and obviously at the college level with the flag programs expanding, which will only continue to do that over the next 10 years. I mean, with Title IX being 50 years old next June, you would hope the NCAA wouldn't be another 10 years behind more adoption of that. So that, again, will provide more opportunity inside the world of football uh, for women who have played it, women who have want to work in other capacities, um, you know, uh, or even people that, you know, that as we find from time to time that haven't been able to touch the game their whole life, but they've wanted to. And for whatever reasons they couldn't. And then whether it's in your thirties or forties, or maybe even after that, right. You find a way now with the expansion of, of football for women uh, and girls to have that, you know, better chance for more participation. So, uh, you know, you can always look at the critical things and the, and the things that you would think are challenges, and there always are, and those are real. But I think overall balance, um, there's so much to be uh, optimistic and thankful about. I agree with you. I think uh, we've made huge strides in terms of a brand, uh, the WFA, you know, we challenge the WFA in, in seasons in the past, right? Are we going to be recreational? Are we going to be business-minded? I think we've gotten to a level now where that is the case now, where we're really uh, basically uh, more business-minded than anything else now with bigger sponsorships. I think the ownerships in the WFA have taken it to a level where they're more aware of that, where, you know, relationships have to be built, networks have to be put together so you can get something of a, uh, you know, long-term relationship that will help them benefit the brand as well. So I really think all those things have been a full circle. Uh, 11 sports, same thing. So it, I think it's worked out pretty well. Uh, I think you're right. And I think that, that it's, you know, in some ways, you know, when you're in the decade or when you're really in, in it, uh, progress can seem slow. Uh, progress can seem non-existent at times. Uh, but if you look back at the last decade, and then, as you said, even more specifically the last couple of years, you absolutely can see uh, quantifiable things all over the place that speak to um, better business, better awareness, um, hopefully better conditions and support and things to, uh, again, support the women who are playing, right, and the people who are coaching and supporting the teams so that you do have more growth and you do have something that you can share at a greater level. Um, you know, for instance, uh, the WFA, I mean, division one going to WFA pro this year 
and it's it's still it's it's part of the naming, but it's also part of the mentality of of growing, right? And you need to keep pushing forward, which is no matter what city you're in or what your team name is, I think we all share that, right? And um, oh, yeah, however right. you can manifest, right? However you can manifest that. Yeah, and I think that's the the identity part with the branding has to be, you know, at a high level of uh, restability because that's what we're looking for. You know, uh, businesses are going to look for a brand that obviously stands out just like in any other sport. And then they're not going to, like you said, they're not going to do return on investment mentality unless you can bring something to the table as well, which is basically a return on investment, whether it be digitally now because we have more of a digital platform with different uh platforms that in the past you wouldn't be able to even be afforded even television coverage on a regional stage now but with you know partnerships with the digital mentality now you're able to at least afford that in a way where people can access it on a mobile device on a laptop so there's a lot more uh, you know benefits in terms of the game of the week like you guys were doing with uh, 11 sports yes and you know all of that's correct and we and we still have a, a high bar I mean, when people, you know, as you led the show, you talk about, you know, Georgia playing Alabama or, uh, you know, the Steelers playing the Ravens or whoever it might be, you're used to seeing a certain level of a television production, no matter, uh, you know, what level the game is or wherever you might see it. And so we have an obligation, anybody that's doing this, to try to continue to match that even though we don't have the funding or the national television deals that, that give everyone playing, what is it, $32 million a year to start or whatever the last number mm-hmm. was for any NFL team, right? That's not a bad way right. to start your year. <laughs> you haven't sold a ticket. You haven't played a game. That's how you start, right? Yep. And so this is, you know, again, part of why it looks the way it looks, and we have um, critical eyes. Uh, you build in the fact of some people that still watch us and wonder if we can, should we, how well. You know, they're, they're very critical about, uh, but we also have many more people now, I think, than when we started, right, that don't have that same critical eye, except for the fact that, like we do, we all want to get better, right? So naturally, we are our own critics along the way. But we have more people now that see the heart, the passion, the storylines, uh, how it can relate to your products. I mean, Lois Cook is one example, right, where mm-hmm. you have ESPN or TiVo or Always or national corporations and companies that are paying for those social influencer spots uh, that, as you said, could not have happened previously. But now, and maybe that's one of the best things, if you can think about a list of coming out of covid what was something good that came out of COVID? And I hope that we all have at least one thing on that list somewhere, right, that we could find one I think, thing. Yeah. I think uh, networking, right? uh, Rich, I think was the biggest thing out of COVID because it gave you some downtime, real perspective that allow you to, uh, you know, build relationships, introduce yourselves in a more formal way because there was no, none, no pressure of the season within the season. And then in the off season, it's like such a shortened season that you don't get the opportunity because you go into holiday mode and you go into other things in terms yeah. of personal state. But being having no season, I really uh, allowed you to focus. You know, even with the ten weeks that you normally would have had a season, 
really focus on a business-minded sense. I think uh, a lot of teams did take advantage of that in, in terms of regional relationships and also in terms of local spotlighting themselves. Yes, and I, I think you, uh, it really brought a sense back of community. If you, mm-hmm. you know, however, whatever level you were operating at before and thought about that or relationships you had, you know, you're, you're talking about that restaurant that's always sponsored you, right, that may not be open. They may right. not be able to give you a gift card or a dollar. And how do you help them? Because they've always helped you, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's a very, it was a very, and it still is, a very interesting time about the dynamics of, again, giving back, sense of community, uh, building that community. And as you said, whether it's on a more national basis, a more obvious basis to more people, or whether it's reinforcing what you already have established and building on and want to continue to do so in all of our, you know, hometowns across the country. Rich, um, one of the things that you guys have done very well is honor uh, your past players and coaches and obviously volunteers, et cetera, and even with, you know, uh, Mr. Hamlin. Um, you guys have done the uh, Divas Hall of Fame on an annual basis you know, to uh, kind of induct certain players into your uh, organization's Hall of Fame, which would be, you know, sort of like what the NFL does with the Ring of Honor, basically at the stadiums. Um, so can you speak to why that, why that was set up, why it continues to be a priority every year to recognize those individuals that came, you know, every season prior to you and to, uh, and to establish that for, like, the, you know, new, new fans of, of the Divas, that understand that you, you know, you haven't been here a year or two. This is a tradition. It's like 20 something years, you know, that you, that all these folks put in, like you said, hard time, money, effort, plus on-field performance. Uh, Well said. And I think that everything you just said is more of the, you know, the reasons why uh, is because we have had that type of, um, family, you know, Ezra Cooper, um, who is still talked about, revered, um, some of his sayings, some of the ways that he taught, um, things that he taught, um, hopefully some of the characteristics about how he interacted and cared for people uh, are still present in our organization. Uh, Daddy Matt Randolph, uh, and these are both gentlemen who are in the Hall of Fame and who are not with us any longer um, on this earth but are mightily here in spirit. You know, his daughter, Natalie Randolph, played for us, and Natalie made national news in 2009 as the first high school uh, coach, a female coach of a boys' varsity team here in D.C. Uh, her dad uh, contributed to us mightily in terms of he was a trainer, was his uh, and a physical therapist, and he donated so much of his time and care for not only her, but for the entire team. Um, there, Mr. Hamlin, you know, Kelly George, I can, I, and these are people that have, you start me on the players, right? We'll, we'll be here past 945. But the, there are so many people, and, and as you see today, LaShawn Faust, right? Finalist number seven of 20. Um, one of the great running backs, one of the great teammates, um, some of the biggest wins, some of the biggest moments, uh, part of that honoring is um, 
we've expanded the hall. Neil Rosendahl, uh, who many people are aware of, wrote the Encyclopedia of Women's Pro Football uh, and did a masterful job of, of trying to, again, tie together all of the various right ways and leagues and teams and, and people that have done this uh, for so many years. Um, and he's been the reason why we've done it, I think, so well and so consistently. And all kudos to Neil uh, for having joined us in 2015, 14-15, when his wife played for us. And it since uh, has not only helped us do this, but is, again, building our history so that when we do talk about stats, we've literally watched every game available. We've rewatched, right? We've gone back. We're, we're digging that deep to be accurate um, to the nth degree. And then so we can do these types of things that um, truly honor not only a uh, several players with one fan voting person getting in as well as the alumni getting to vote, uh, but also a contributor. Uh, and that's where Mr. Hamlin or Ezra Cooper uh, or Daddy Nat Randolph are in the Hall of Fame as a contributor. Um, and then the senior committee, right? This is part of the evolution of it that wasn't there in the early day, but the senior committee so that every year we kind of move that needle, meaning we want to focus on those first six years because if we don't focus on those, the people that can truly vote, that are truly aware of what happened, how it happened, right, gets farther away, just like it does in the NFL. And sometimes you start to miss people, right, because the, everybody's in that present-day mode. So part of our senior committee is designed to continue to bring back people from those classes as we rotate ahead so that we are bringing back that full history. And then, uh, you know, if we had 10 people a year, it probably wouldn't be enough to suffice, right? But we're doing our very best to uh, make it an inclusive process. Uh, Another thing we've had, Oscar, is we've had people play forever, (laughs) right? So Donna Wilkinson played 17 years, Trigger McNair, 20, all these people that have played for a long time. So you actually have to stop playing for a couple years before you're eligible to jump in. So, for instance, this class – uh, I mentioned Trigger McNair, for instance, absolutely a Hall of Fame player, without question. In their first ballot, you know, right up the bat, right? She will actually be in the next class. And part of that is, again, we lost 2020 to the season, and we did not actually do the Hall of Fame inductions during that calendar year, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're catching up a bit, but, uh, you know, Callie Brownson, uh, Sharif Marshall, uh, I mean, there's, there's a host of people that are coming, as well as all of the great people that are uh, that are in front of us right now this year. Rich, uh, when you took on the ownership of this uh, franchise, with its rich, you know, tradition and everything that comes with it, uh, it's a big. I, I would say, I wouldn't say a burden, but it is a responsibility. I think in a, in, in a way, right? Because it is, it is one of the franchises in the WFA. If you know. If we go back and just starting 2009 from where it is now to there, I mean, between you and Boston uh, pretty much becomes the WFA. You know, it's just no different than you go to the NFL where you, you know, Chicago, Green Bay as an example in the, in the early days. But um, 
you know, what do you think of, of the, just the, the rivalry, the tradition, and the responsibility between you and Boston that, that makes the WFA the brand that it is? Well, they certainly are an excellent rival, and you're right. We have, uh, you know, that that kind of feeling of okay, you're going to play in the last game, and one of you is going to go to the national championship and have an opportunity to win it. And, you know, it sort of had that feeling, basically year in and year out. And that's no disrespect to anyone else that's playing. That was just our expectation. And when you talk about burden, I think no matter what team, what level, what league you're playing at that if you have too much expectation, sometimes that can become a burden, right? Or if you've had, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, tremendous success for a long time, you're invariably going to go through at some point, not necessarily a rebuild, right? You know, some three to five year plan that you hear of sometimes in sports versus this year is not going to look like that championship year, or this year might not look like the last year, right? Uh, a little right. bit of an ebb and flow when you're into your uh, now third decade uh, of, of operation. So we've experienced that, but again, I go back to um, the expectation is part of why you heard my excitement earlier. It's part of why we're doing the Hall of Fame. It's, we recognize that history. We recognize that if you're there, LaShawn Faust or Trigger McNair, and you're watching us lose or miss a tackle, you're not happy. <laughs> We're not happy, right? But yet you're pulling for your team because you have that level of, that has been established, right? And if you look at the Washington pro football team in town, the men's team, you completely understand that situation of how you establish something that was so rich in tradition and success. And then you haven't had that for a 20 year period to the point where it looks just absolutely different. We're not that last season didn't look like the one before or the two before that or the three before that, but the things that happened from it. And since then, put us in a place of not only growth, but uh, of the types of people and athletes and, and people, coaches and otherwise supporting and growing the organization that we are on the right path. It's not a three to five year plan. We'll compete this year. Minnesota's terrific. Nevada's moved up to D one. You know, I don't want to leave anybody out. We start Detroit. I, you know, I don't want to mention the whole bunch, right? But everybody, Tampa Bay, I mean, they, you know, they whooped us in the playoffs. Right, so we'll get to play them again, I'm sure, at some point, hopefully, and in Boston, of course. And you do have that, not necessarily. Let's put it this way, Oscar: we get to do this. We don't have to do this. Sure. So that burden, that sense of burden, is gone because we really do get this kind of an honor and a privilege, really, to be able to get to do this. And so, as hard as it is, and as challenging it is for any of us no matter where you're doing it, um, you know it's worth it, and you get reminded of that to the day, to me. You know, sometimes you get reminded multiple times in a day. But it really a day doesn't pass where something or someone, something that we do, uh, somebody in interaction, it reminds you of the worth of it. Uh, it reminds you that, yeah, there is an expectation. You have your own you have the, the, the 20 plus years of history. You have all these Hall of Famers. 
I mean, I got in the Hall of Fame, and I asked Neil, I said, wait a minute, how, I'm, I'm, I didn't stop. How do I get in the – if I'm doing this, how do you get in the Hall of Fame? And he said, well, the thing about contributors is, you know, if you did this until you're 95, are we going to wait? <laughs> until you're 95 and then you stop we're gonna, right so the contributor thing hand. is you have a, right you, you can still be doing it but you had to do it for a certain number of years to be eligible sure, sure. right so i've done yeah, it enough i've done it at least 15 so i'm, I'm, I'm in on that uh mark i but, think you're a shoe in yeah it's it's yeah it's <laughs> it's um we get to do this we don't have to do this and sure. and we're fortunate to be able to do it so uh, yeah, you know, the Divas, uh, you know, we may not be the Packers. We may not be that 100-year team that's still the same name, playing in the same area, right, with multiple ownership and growth and more women involved and kids and, you know, all of it, right? Maybe. But we're already in the third decade, right? Sure. We've been through two. Let's make the third better than the first two in some way, shapes, and forms, and uh, you know, you help to do that by giving us a platform. Uh, and I always kind of defer when you ask me. I usually say, hey, let's, let's get a player on. Let's, you know, uh, but I do appreciate the chance to, to visit and, um, you know, get excited about what we should all be excited about, which is uh, the growth of the game and uh, many, many good things to share with other people. And we're doing more of that here, and I hope everybody else is continuing on their path to do that as well. Yeah, I know. I wanted to bring you on because uh, you're kind of one of the traditional owners in the league in terms of, you know, a franchise that stands out with the brand. And I think when we talk about the visibility of the sport, you know, the WFA uh, basically stands out after, you know, so many years of getting to this level. And your team is – one of those teams that embodies what the WFA is all about in terms of the sport tradition, the history, you know, championships, the, uh, the rivalry between you and Boston. So there's a lot of positives, in other words, that have come from just yourself, but in general, the organization, as you had pointed out, from the past. So I think it's important that everybody is made aware of the fact that, you know, Divas football is, to your point, the WFA in general, but at the same time, it, it brings a lot of tradition. So, I want to make sure everybody understands that for 2022, I think, you know, we're looking forward to having you guys back on, on track, as they say, and uh, getting, you mm-hmm. know, back to that uh, road to the finals, which is normally tradition for you guys to be in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, uh, Mrs. Scott there, hopefully uh, Amanda's get back on track. And, and you, like you said, uh, the tryouts happening so we have one more tryout you want to let everybody know so that way if they're in dc or virginia they can come out and obviously we always need numbers so the more the merrier yeah absolutely oscar thank you uh november 13th uh we'll be at uh west potomac high school in alexandria virginia dcdivas.com slash tryouts is where you can register ahead and uh we do welcome um We've had some people, I was going to say 18 and over, but we have had uh, this year again uh, some uh, younger people, 16, 17 years old, that want the experience of the tryout. Uh, As you know, Haley last year as an 18-year-old finally did make the team uh, and is now at Shenandoah University uh, going through her first season. Um, So we do welcome, uh, uh, normally we say 18 and there's no limit, 
right? We want to encourage people that maybe have uh, waited mm-hmm. or couldn't, you know, to take that chance. Uh, and if nothing else, you say you tried out and you did your best, right? And that sure. matters. Um, but uh, dcdivas.com backslash tryouts, and we certainly uh, we welcome to see new people involved. And as you said, uh, not only honoring our past, but welcoming back some of our current great players and, and matching them up with some terrific new players and and then getting to do, as we said, right, getting to do uh, that that battle uh, and that good fight with Boston and Tampa Bay and uh, everybody else. Minnesota had a great year. I mean, my gosh, uh, terrific. Uh, and they run a first-class organization. So uh, your point about the WFA, there is a lot of good things to say. There's a lot of good progress. And, you know, and also hats off to everybody else in the other leagues, uh, no matter their size, no matter where they're playing, um, and certainly the international component and the teams that may, you know, tune in and listen. Uh, we have great respect for all of that uh, because we know how hard it is, uh, but we also know how uh, worthwhile it is. Rich, I really thank you for coming in. Give us uh, the lowdown on everything that's going to be coming up for the 2022 season for the D.C. Divas. Uh, including the uh, induction and selection of the 20 uh, Divas that are going to be considered for the Divas Hall of Fame. So you go to DC Divas Football on Facebook, go to DC Divas Football on IG as well, so you can follow them there, dcdivas.com. And so uh, it's going to be a great season in 2022. Looking forward to all the normal uh, players back up and running and healthy. And so I appreciate your time, and I really, uh, really thank you for coming on. Oscar, I really appreciate the opportunity, and I would be remiss if I didn't plug Lois Cook at Cleats and Stilettos, because after all, 7 million views a month is just not enough, right? Let's get her to 8 million. Uh, she reps the whole no, league. She's about, let's, she's let's about get, promoting young girls in the next generation. That, that's what I call right? her now. Let's get Curl. Let's get oh, that to me, that to that to me state, is right? – that, right? It's tremendous. And if she was oh, yeah. a Baltimore Nighthawk in doing that – if she was a Derby City Dynamite and doing that, I would still tell you what I just said and, and, and clap it loud and proud um, because she's doing it with the whole in mind, and I think that's exceptional. All right, let's throw in a great receiver, too. She, she can actually catch the ball. There you go. <laughs> As she <Right>. points out. <laughs> that's right, and she's just finishing so, yeah. her first season. Oscar, I'll leave you with this. So the high school that she attended, Bethesda Chevy Chase, the same high school that would not let her play, right, when she went to school there, she is now mm-hmm. coaching the JV and on the varsity this year. So, again, happen? 20 years later, <laughs> hey, here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, she's, she's wonderful. She's an awesome, awesome mom, awesome baller, and a, a great community uh, positive voice for everything. And then if you guys don't follow her on TikTok, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Go to TikTok. That's She's right. awesome on TikTok. Seven to eight million. Here we go, Oscar. And same for you. Continued growth and success. And um, thank you again for the time tonight and uh, all you're doing for the sport. Appreciate it, Rich. Thank you again for coming on. Uh, looking forward to the 2022 season, WFA Divas. Uh, appreciate it. Have a great night. You too, sir. All right, uh, Terry. Uh, so there, uh, Rich Daniel of the DC Divas. Uh, one of the storied franchise in the WFA, uh, what makes up the WFA when you think of the WFA between them and Boston. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, 
DC Divas and Boss Renegades are among a, a, a handful of names that really um, stand out as far as the exceptional franchises in that league. And so it's kind of cool to hear you know, straight from the horse's mouth talking to their owner um, about what's going on and kind of their, you know, their um, perspective and their vision for their program in the league. So that's really cool. It's good to hear from them. Yeah, and uh, you know Rich, uh, you guys, you follow Rich for a long time. I mean, he took over the ownership of the Divas after Mr. Hamelin did a really great job in, in terms of tradition, and now he's trying to build, a, obviously, another level and continue that tradition in terms of, you know, getting deep in the playoffs and maybe hoist another trophy for the Divas. So uh, in the background, a lot of work, but he does a wonderful job of, you know, marketing, and he's got a background in uh, obviously in film and TV and everything else, so it's kind of beneficial for networking. So, and then of course, if you have Lois Cook <laughs> leading leading the charge <laughs> for your brand, you know, in seven no, million uh, can't hurt. <laughs> no, it doesn't hurt at all. No, they have a lot. Of, they have a lot of things going for them, and they do a lot of things the right way. And so, I I wish them nothing but success for sure. Yeah, and uh, so you guys can follow DC Divas Football on Facebook. Go to DC Divas on IG, and as well, you can uh, uh, cleats and stiletto on IG, and you can get the lowdown on everything that's happening in terms of the DC Divas and the WFA uh, from Lois Cook as well. So awesome. So let's go into the uh, second hour here. We're going to be going into the international news, and we're going to bring in uh, uh, the backseat coach, Mark Simone, into the conversation here. Mark, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, I have a great week starting starting off, and you know, hearing um, uh, Rich Daniel uh, on the show uh, is a really great way to uh, start my week. You know, I, I think for people like you and I, Oscar, who you know, we're not football players, we're not football coaches. We approach mm-hmm. uh, our involvement is is kind of on the media side, um, and Rich Daniel, that's where he's coming from too. So he's a guy that you and I, uh, you know, if I can say so, you can look up to somebody like him. Um, we understand he, where his love of the game and his wanting to be involved comes from, right? He wants to bring the game to a, another level. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, he was the general manager of the Divas um, for many, many years uh, under – former owner, Paul Hamlin, and then he had the opportunity to own the team and um, lead that team forward um, into the future. But, you know, really those skills that he brought from media and his television background um, uh, has really um, sort of uh, put a – shined a great spotlight on – women's football through his work for the DC Divas. Um, they always had good video, um, you know, for the social media, um, getting on the local news, things like that. And um, so, so you know, when I, when I consider everything that he's done, it, it, you know, I get pumped up, right? I, I get very inspired. Yeah. Um, because of, you know, I, I try and do the same things, um, well, maybe not the same things, but similar things for the Boston Renegades. Um, you know, I've been uh, with them from their beginning in, in 2015, uh, followed, you know, followed the Boston Militia before them, 
always knew that I wanted to get involved. The first game I ever saw, you know, I, I knew it was special. And um, I definitely want to tell the story um, in, the, in the same way that, that Rich, I think, probably felt when he first started, you know, when he was first exposed to, to the Divas. So really great stuff. Um, and speaking of uh, stories, I'm quite excited uh, tomorrow to be attending a, um, uh, a book signing. Uh, the book is called Hail Mary, and it's about mm-hmm. the history of the NWFL, um, written by uh, Brittany De La Creta and uh, Lindsay uh, D'Arcangelo. And so um, I'm a big history buff, and I know you are as well. So mm-hmm. some of what Rich was talking about, you know, the teams and the leagues that came before us, you know, um, uh, you know where would we be without them? Every success in women's football is a cumulative effort starting from really, really long ago, um, you know, in, in through the 70s and the 80s till, till today. And so this book that's coming out, um, uh, again, it's called Hail Mary. Um, there's a book signing tomorrow in my neighborhood. So I'm pretty psyched to go. It, it's definitely a, a women's football week, especially since, uh, the Renegades' final uh, tryout session is on Saturday, and I'm I'm going to be going to that as well. So, uh, big week for me. Yeah, and, and you go back in history, uh, a lot of the you know the things that Rich said here uh, in the past that have not been completely documented in some senses. So, if you go back to the 70s, uh, in general, that era of the 70s to the early 80s, uh, the NWFL in terms of the states was a vital key point of starting point for what we're at now. And I think the, you know, the Toledo Troopers, as you mentioned before, he, he mentioned the LA Dandelions, um, the pace setters. That's right. Um, so a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the history in terms of, you know, what we would, con- what the NFL would consider vintage, you know, 1933 to 1950s or something. Uh, basically some mm-hmm. of our history in women's tackle football starts right there in the seventies and, and going into the early eighties in terms of, you know, the different leagues that, uh, surfaced and just didn't survive. But now, you know, we're in a situation now, I think, in, in, in this uh, 2022 where we have two viable leagues, uh, very visible and, and driven themselves into a point where they really want to get attention and notice. And I think, uh, you know, we have to applaud both both brands for bringing us to another stage and another level. But uh, that book uh, is uh, also at the Hub. So you get the article right there that Mark's talking about. And it's a really good uh, story that builds up the tradition of the sport in terms of the United States. Uh, I know, you know, there's people that have messaged me before, Mark, and says, you know, there's people in, uh, in, in Spain that started this, started that, people in Austria. And, and so we're not taking away from anybody international because I think if you tell the stories about how every league got started, there's probably a lot of pioneers in each country that were uh, doing the same thing, right? To get the sport on the map and, and, and get those leagues up and running and things like that. So we credit not only, uh, you know, the United States history, but uh, also internationally. We also, you know, want to give a shout-out to all those uh, pioneers in the international countries that have set up leagues for opportunity for women to play and obviously to be formal leagues now as as they stand today. So, But overall, the 70s in the States is where it's at, and I think uh, Toledo being in the Hall of Fame also is a credit to just getting acknowledged. That that women's tackle football does exist and it has existed for a long time. 
Absolutely, and it, it just keeps growing. Um, you know, not just in the United States and Canada, but like as you say, around the world. And um, I think we mentioned last week. Um, you know, Germany has had women's football for many, many years. Um, you know, probably almost as long as the, um, you know, uh, the uh, the United States has had currently. And um, I think probably starting in the you know early 2000s. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, f- football's been um, on the international scene for a long time, and um, as we're going to find out, there's a lot of football being played in Mexico. Uh, and um, all throughout Europe and Asia, we haven't even really talked very much about uh, Japan, but uh, they've had women's leagues as well. Uh, um, some some of their players um, crossing the Pacific to play in the United States and even established teams and stuff like that. So um, uh, as, as uh, Mr. Daniel said, you know, every accomplishment in women's football has been a cumulative effort because it, it – would not have been possible for the people who came before. Um, and it takes everybody, you know, it takes everybody to, um, to sort of help the, the tide rise for the game. Oh yeah. And it's, it's a credit, like he said to a lot of, a lot of people that have contributed, you know, we contribute on the media side, on the social media marketing side, uh, there's players obviously that contribute in terms of their own teams and, and give their time to spotlight their own teams, and so it's really really awesome. Um, so let's keep keep it going here. Let's uh, Mark. Let's start in Europe, uh, Austria. We got one week left. The final the final matchup in Europe is probably going to be the final from what I'm from what I see now. Uh, Salzburg 21-16. The Edge Telf Patriots. Uh, the first time the Ducks are in the final. They're going to go up against uh, the Vienna Vikings, which is the juggernaut uh, in Austria, and uh, it's going to be a big burden for them. But overall, uh, I think that's going to be – they're going to get two cracks at them. They're going to get the crack in the final week, and they're going to get the crack in the final. So kind of a tune-up game for uh, Salzburg. Yeah, I mean, that's a very interesting situation, right? Um, so, they, you know, they, they played um, um, to the last week of the regular season – the Telfs Patriots are out of the, you know, they're eliminated. And so you've got the Salzburg Ducks, you, you've got the Vienna Vikings, and they're facing each other in the last regular season game. And we already know that they're going to be in the championship game as well. So I'm kind of wondering, like, it, you know, this last, this this game on November 7th between, the, you know, the two competitors are it's kind of a, like you say, a tune-up game. I, I kind of wonder if they should play the game at all. Um, you know, I, I it's not. I really wouldn't advocate um, to play less games, but it's this. You know, it's the same two teams playing t- two weeks in a row. Um, you know, it is the era of COVID. There are certain risks that uh, you know you might balance in that that equation. But um, you know, in a way, if you're the whoever, Ducks, whoever wins on the Mark, November seventh, you, you got an opportunity to to do twice. <laughs> so if you go in and you barely get you barely get beaten in week one, I think you get that hunger strike for the final. And now, like, okay, this is the real one now. <laughs> this is for the right. trophy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
we'll see what happens. I mean, I expect them to play both of these, you know, uh, the, the, the regular season game. Um, but, uh, you know, the two teams faced each other on uh, in mid-October, and um, the Vikings just edged the Ducks. So it was a close mm-hmm. game. Uh, it'll be, it, I mean, obviously it'll be very interesting to see um, what will happen, um, ex- especially when you get a, a re- you know, you get like the the replay the following week for the trophy. So that's interesting. Let's bring Terry's perspective here. Terry, uh, final week you get to meet. You are, you already told you're making the final, and you're facing mm-hmm. the team that is in the final. So how do you treat this? Do you treat this as a, a scrimmage, heavy scrimmage game? to go in there and kind of get get the win for the last of the season? Or are you treating this like, okay, a scouting scrimmage last game, and if you win, you win. If not, then, hey, I got one more shot, but this is for the real marbles. So you're saying the scenario is they're going to play this t- team the last g- game of the regular season, they're going to see them in the playoffs regardless of the outcome. Yeah, right. so the, they're, they're guaranteed to go to the finals now, but the last game of the season is against them. So the, the oh, last game okay. is against them, and the finals is the same team. That's on, so it's like a tune-up type game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's an interesting question. Uh, thankfully, I've never been in that situation as a coach. Um, so I'm going to be – but I think from my perspective, you're going to be playing them later on in the game that counts. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a glorified scrimmage from my perspective. I mean, you want to scout them. Um, you kind of have a, a live look at what they're doing. But there's, there's nothing – it doesn't make any logical sense to show them what you really have, you know, like prepared. So, like, if, if you have, you know, specific plays drawn up, trick plays, you know, if you want to showcase a certain player, if you want to ex- expose a certain mismatch – you know, whatever you have for the big game plan, it's in your best interest to not show them that until it counts. And so it's, it's, it sounds it sucks because it sounds boring for the fans, but it's in their best interest to play as vanilla, vanilla as possible, which that I have done as a coach. I have been intentionally vanilla um, against a team for reasons that made sense. Um, so that's all that is is just – you draw up a, a game plan, but you don't do anything extra. You don't try to, you know, <laughs> um, you just run what you run, keep it as basic as possible. You don't really care if you win the game or not. You just want to basically stay healthy and not have injuries. Um, but more importantly, you just want to save everything that you have planned for when it counts later. So, but it's a, so Terry, situation. if you're the Salisbury Duck coach, uh, this is the best team in the league in terms of tradition. In other words, they are the best dynasty team in the in in the country. So you get two yep. shots. One, if you come up short, no biggie. And the next yep. shot is for the, all the marbles for the upset. So if you're the coaching yep. staff for the Ducks, man, you're you're literally okay. You have opportunity to make history here. Not just win the last season game, but going to the final yeah, and I- really take down a dynasty. Yep. And, and another thing I just thought of, because you said that, is another way to approach it as a coach is you can use it literally as like a um, – <laughs> it's kind of like brainstorming on the field, right? Like let's say mm-hmm. there's five ways to attack this team. There's through the air, running the ball, a mixture of the two, 
you know, showcasing. So you can literally use the game as a scouting report and try, mm-hmm. okay, if we showcase this receiver for the first quarter, how does that go? If we showcase our running back for the second quarter, how does that go? Um, how, do they, how do they react to play action? Like, you just see, like, little bits and pieces of what works and what doesn't work, and you don't do it over and over because you don't care about winning the game, but you keep it in mind. And that's a, that's a perfect sure. notebook for the actual game accounts. So that's going to be a great, a great matchup week, the last week of the season. So Mark and myself will keep tabs on it in terms of whether they're going to actually going to play the last week of the season or they're going to just jump mm-hmm. right into the final for the week after and give them, you know, a 10-day rest period. So we'll see how uh, the Austrian women's schedule, if it changes at all at this point. It'll be the first time the Ducks go into, the, into a final matchup in the Austrian League, so it's a first visit for them. Uh, the Vikings, obviously traditional, like I said, a big-time dynasty. Uh, Mark, uh, Amsterdam, uh, week eight, it was uh, Endo Haven and Amsterdam, and it was Swole coming back uh, versus The Hague. So there was a victory by Swole, and I believe there was a victory by the Cats. Uh, we go into week nine, which the Cats going up against Wolverines. Uh, so Amsterdam looks pretty strong here going into week nine. Uh, yeah, they do. Uh, you know, they're they're three and zero, and they're going to be facing a team that um, um, I think they might have beaten them before. Um, but they're, they're at the bottom of the rankings are the Wolverines. So the the Amsterdam Cats are are in a in a very strong position, um, and at three and zero, Rotterdam is at three and one. Uh, and those two look like the uh, presumptive finalists. But, I, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, we had mentioned uh, um, that uh, there were a couple of games that were um, uh, postponed earlier in the season, and one of them is the, the, the Cats versus the Zwolle Blue Jays. Now, with this victory that the Blue Jays had this past week over the Hague Scorpions, they're now in the middle of the pack. And yep. um, the way the league is set up, uh, the, the rankings go by the, your net points, your points for uh, minus your points against, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's, here's, this, and it, here's where they're at. The, the Ravens, the Rotterdam Ravens have a net of 92. So they're probably not going to, uh, you know, and the, the cats are at uh, plus thirty-two. That's sixty points. I don't, I don't see Rotterdam being affected too much uh, in the final three games of the regular season. But you've got the Amsterdam Cats with thirty-two net points, the Eindhoven Valkyries with five, and the Swole Blue Jays with negative thirteen. My point is, in the final weeks here, a big blowout game could really make a big difference. For, oh, yeah. for any of these teams, right? Is if, oh, if yeah. the Zwolle Blue Jays, like, you know, take, like, a 50-0 to zero game over the Valkyries in the last week of the season, you know, it could catapult them into uh, a playoff position. Um, yep. Now, it, 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 so, it's, so it's, it's pretty wild. Um, it, and so when I'm looking back at the game that was canceled between the Amsterdam Cats and the Zwolle Blue Jays, I'm thinking, wow, that's a pretty big game that didn't get played. 
And so I'm asking, is that going to get played? Was it postponed or was it just straight up canceled? Um, I'm assuming because, it might get played after the 14th because you still have that. The 28th is the bowl, the bowl week, so maybe they'll plug it in, you know, within that week of the 14th or the 21st at this point. Uh, so we'll we'll keep. Yeah. I'll probably I'm going to reach out to um, the owner of the of the league and see what that what that makeup, if any makeup, would be. So we'll, we'll get kind of a definitive answer in terms of what it will be. So we're going to have week nine okay. Amsterdam against Wolverines. Uh, we talked about the Czech Republic final, the championship, November 7th. It is Harpies taking on Black Cats, a first-time trip for the Harpies. Uh, you get the uh, article right there uh, at the Hub. If you go back about uh, 10 days from today, you, or you can go directly to the Prague Harpies, and you get the article right there as well. So it will be Harpies, Black Cats, the Battle of Prague for the Czech Republic Women's Championship. Uh, let's go, Mark, to uh, FX Mexico. Norte and uh, FX Central, FX Mexico Central. Uh, we have to just uh, give our condolences to uh, Celtas. Uh, uh, apparently one of their players passed away, Elizabeth Napolis. Uh, Napolis uh, she passed away, so our, our condolences and prayers to the Celta uh, club down south. Uh, FX Norte, week two, it was the uh, V-Queens 25-0 against Borregias. Uh, the uh, Halcones 52 to 52 to six over the Celtas. Uh, coming up here week three, it's going to be Celtas Boregas. So really an impressive start for the V Queens, and obviously for the Halcones here in uh, FS, FX Norte. Yeah, it's great to get that first week. Um, you know, uh, get football going, and uh, we'll see how things shake out. It, it's always good to uh, you know start strong, uh, but you know. Uh, the, the season's got multiple games in it, and uh, we'll just have to see how that shakes out. And then we have FX Mexico Central uh, Sharks twenty-six to fourteen against the Hurricanes. Uh, the Tankers lose twenty-five to twenty-four to the Bulldogs. Uh, the Panthers shut out the Demons uh, twenty-two to zero. Two matchups: uh, Tankers uh, versus Dem- Demonios. Panthers Hurricanes. Sharks and Bulldogs will get the update from FX Mexico. Uh, we'll get some, uh, hopefully some live video as well from uh, Zona del Gol, uh, Paterillas, Mexico, as well as uh, Yarda 20 and also um, uh, Blitz football video. So we'll get those updated for you. Uh, Mark Lexfa, uh, Avengers 27-7 to over the Hornets. Uh, Gladiadoras, uh, they get routed 46-0 to by Stormtroopers. Uh, it was the Cowgirls 51-0 to over the Spartans and the Aztecas 48-26 over Panteras. Aztecas looking really hot, really good. Uh, Avengers obviously just right off the blocks, so they obviously have a good, a good, uh, good win coming right off the blocks against the Hornets. But uh, we're going into week three. It's starting to kind of shape up a little bit in Lexfa. Yeah, it's looking like the Aztecs uh, are, you know, uh, sort of the – the, the early front runners here, they're looking very strong. Um, you know, they put out a, a lot of points. Um, um, but I don't see too many goose eggs so far. Well, I can see a few goose eggs here. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it looks like teams, all the teams are capable of scoring points. Um, um, I mean, that's a, that's a big score by the score Stormtroopers, 46 points, um, you know, after taking a loss in the first week. Uh, but you know, I think the Stormtroopers are looking are, are looking pretty good after that. 
that uh, first week loss to the the top Aztecs. So um, this is looking like a it's looking like a going to be a pretty exciting season. I think I think um, I think I'm quite excited about it. Yeah, and it's going to be uh, interesting to see who who uh, kind of stands out. Uh, we thought for sure the the troopers coming out really strong, and then all of a sudden they get a, a let down here. But the Avengers, uh, you know, big win there. You've got a rebound win by the by the stormtroopers after a uh, 57-12 loss uh, in week one. God, uh, Gladiadorus really suffering here. Uh, they're getting uh, basically 0-2 for the season. Uh, the Spartans are 0-2, but uh, the Cowgirls come out 51-0, and they're 1-0. and uh, Aztecas, as you mentioned, they're obviously 2-0. and uh, Going into uh, week three here, uh, it's interesting to see, um, you know, Aztecas rolling 44-0, so they're 3-0 and on the season. Uh, the Troopers rebound. They're 2-1 and against the Spartans. Uh, Avengers, uh, like I said, 26-6. to uh, You also have uh, Truvi Nevada, who actually falls to the Hornets. So a really good rebound win by the Hornets after getting uh, beat in week two, 20-18, real close game there too as well. So uh, we'll keep tabs on everything that's happening in Lexfa, Serena Football, Mexico, MX. Um, Mark and LaFay, uh, it was week, uh, I believe week four in LaFay, Titanes continued to dominate 14 to eight against Mexicas. It was uh, Maya's Azul 18 to zero against the Lobos. Uh, Pumitas, after that, you know, one week of laps, have come back strong and really impressive. 33 to six against the Raiders, and then Maya's Blanco and Division Two 13 to zero against Alcones. So uh, Pumitas really standing out in, after that one week where they just had a forfeit. Uh, yeah, I mean it's. Um... I'm, I'm glad they're able to bounce back, and you know, um, they're they're three and one. So, and, and their their loss is is a uh, is a forfeit. So, uh, in a sense, on the field they're undefeated, right? The Titanists are mm-hmm. are undefeated four and zero. Azul undefeated four and zero. So, we look to have some, uh, you know, there's one week left in the in the season, and um, then. However, um, their their playoff uh, uh, bracket is structured. I will have to hear, but um, you know, it looks like we're, we're getting some very good football from them. Um, uh, but Mayas Azul have allowed no points at all from their opponents. That very is very eye opening. And I think that I think the coaches Larios from the national team. So I think you have to give him credit. I think it's Coach Larios, Giovanni Larios, which is the the Mexican national coach. So he's always been very impressive in terms of fielding a great, some good teams. So um, you know, great job to them. Uh, we go to we go to Australia to finish up here. Uh, week three, Gridiron um, West, really impressive. Curtains Saints rebound forty four to zero against the uh, Claremont Jets. They're two and one. Claremont undefeated. Uh, I mean, winless, I'm sorry, in, in the season. Then Perth Broncos, 42-0 to zero against the Swan City Titans. Swan City struggling this year pretty much all season. Uh, they have not been able to put points on the board for three straight weeks, so it's kind of tough. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think they're a new team, uh, the Jets are. Uh, so I think this might be their, their first season season. Um, I'm not sure um, 
if the the Swan City Titans um, are a new team, but uh, they also have struggled to uh, score points. So those are the two teams that have yet to score points, the Jets and uh, Swan City Titans. So kind of rough go of it here. Um, We'll see um, next week, you know, if the uh, Jets can uh, put some points up on the Hills Valkyries, who are also a new team. Uh, and uh, right now, you know, uh, the top three teams, the top four teams here are looking pretty good. We've got two teams that have uh, mm-hmm. two wins out of th- uh, two or three games, depending on their schedule. So, um, again, really interesting season happening in Gridiron West. So we're going to have a Pride Matches uh, coming up here in week, uh, the next week here, uh, week four. And it's really interesting, as Mark has alluded here, the champions, the Vipers, taking on the Curtain Saints. Curtain Saints are obviously 2-1. Uh, and one. Would love to put a, uh, a big win against the Rockingham Vipers. The other matchup is Perth Broncos taking on the best team in Gridiron West right now, which is the West Coast Wolverines. So it's a clash of two undefeated teams, 2-0 and on both sides. So that's the matchup that we're going to be watching and keeping an eye on. And then Claremont uh, versus Hills Valkyrie. And I believe that's two winless teams, right? One of them is chasing the right. win. So there you go for the slate on week four. So really good action. I uh, want to give a shout-out to Kat Bryant Photography uh, at Gridiron West. She does an amazing job uh, for keeping tabs and doing the still photos and giving the information out there for Gridiron West. So shout-out to Kat for doing that and uh, spotlighting women's American football in uh, Gridiron West out in Australia. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, so, Mark, that's it. I think uh, that's pretty much the lowdown internationally. So, LaFi coming to an end there. Uh, we also have Lexfa still within a couple weeks to go here. FX Mexico still in its kind of a middle uh, season. Uh, we got uh, the championship in Austria coming up. We got the championship in the Czech Republic. So a lot of stuff happening uh, in terms of the women's game overseas, and you need to be at the hub, right? That's all you got to do is go to the hub. It's all there. Just waiting for you. <laughs> Terry knows he's got to go to the hub now. After all this long, he knows he's got to go to the hub. I'm very well informed about that, yes. All right. Um, so that's it. Uh, Mark, uh, looking forward to the you know the finals uh, coming up here in Austria and Czech Republic. I think that's the exciting uh, next 10 days, that's where we're going to be at. And then after that, we're going to be in the Iron West and in Mexico for the remainder of the, uh, you know, winter in terms of up to January until we, we start getting the WFA and the WNFC, uh, you know, bug in terms of anticipation for the 2022 season. That's right. We should be seeing some schedules in January or maybe early February. Um, I'm sure we'll hear some more news. Um, so... You know, we'll just keep on keeping on. All right. So, uh, Mark, a reminder, let everybody know uh, the book signing. You're going to be out there, but uh, everybody can go to the article at the Hub and still, if you want to support the uh, the authors, you can actually, uh, I believe you're, there's a way you can get it online as well, and more than likely it's going to be Amazon for the most part. So check out the article there, and it's uh, the, the book, once again, is? Hail Mary. Hail Mary. So it's going to be a book signing, and you'll be there. Um, hopefully you can post some photos with them. If you get a chance, just kind of a little photo 
little photo pop for uh, for your page. That way, uh, they pretty pretty much would appreciate it. So uh, Hail Mary, the story of women's tackle football, including the uh, I believe the pace setters, Toledo Troopers, and the dand- uh, Dandelions as well. So it's a really interesting historical book uh, done on that. And you get the uh, article there at the hub. You look for it right there at facebook.com forward slash cranberries. All right, Mark, always informative, entertaining, and I really appreciate your insights every week. Have a good night, Oscar. Bye, Terry. Good man, Mark. All right, uh, Terry, there you go. The oracle of women's tackle football right there. The, AK, the backseat coach, <laughs> a.k.a. Mark Monk. That's right, that's right. The man right I'm there. I'm just a mere mortal. You are a mere mortal. I know. I, 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 he's such a great resource. I, ever since he's, he's been willing to come on here, it just it's uh, such refreshing insights from him. And he knows the sport like anybody else. And he's done a great job of keeping up with it as well internationally. So uh, we always, always appreciate Mark coming on here and giving us the lowdown on what's happening in the women's game. Absolutely. Terry, let's let's not forget, uh, if you haven't uh, sent anybody to subscribe to our podcast, let's go ahead and do that now. Make sure you go to Apple, iHeart, Spotify. We're also on Global, uh, Global Women's Sports Radio at the uh, podcast tab right there, so pretty easy to do. Also on Spotify, so uh, check it out. Go right there. The link for our Apple podcast is right there on our promo page at the Gridiron Podcast. Link right there at the hub. Uh, if you missed any of our episodes, 306 something episode, so I'm pretty sure you're more than happy to go back three to eight years if you want to go do that. You can do that, and we really appreciate that. Uh, but if the most recent episode has been the last 60 days. We had Coach Chris Garza of the champion Nevada Storm Division II, uh, including MVP Sarah Canangelo. We also had uh, Derby City Coach Ray McMillan in the house, champions uh, Boston Renegades, Shante Bonds, and Steph Pasquale back at 383. At 384, we have the talented Grace Cooper of the Minnesota Vixen. Uh, 385, we have uh, uh, Amanda uh, Gildry and uh, I'm sorry, Amanda Hillman and Deanna Gidry of the Texas Elite Spartans. Uh, 386, mm-hmm. Carrie Walters and Dion Lee of the WNFC Las Vegas Silver Stars. 387, we have Megan Lewis and Gina Magana. 388, we have Tori Petri, and then uh, 389, Taylor Hay plus 390, Kelly Smith in the house and uh, Olivia Griswold in the past couple podcasts. So check it out. Subscribe to our Apple podcast. Download over 300 episodes, and the link's right there. So check it out. All right, Terry, uh, there's the plugs. We're good to go. Now we go to the NFL, and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get the uh, salty one here in a couple minutes because she knows she always wants to talk Cowboys. You know how that goes. I do. All right, so I'm going to get uh, Holly's take on week eight. And then we'll dive into our own two cents on week eight. Okay, hold on. I'm ready. Here are the most interesting results from the NFL from this weekend. Packers 24, Cardinals 21. What a crazy finish to this game. The Packers had the game on ice. They scored late. But a call on the fourth down doesn't go their way, and they give the ball back to the Cardinals at their own one-yard line. Kyler Murray drives the Cardinals into excellent position. They needed a field goal to tie, but wanted to touch the end zone to get the win. A.J. Green, however, did not get that memo and didn't turn around when Murray threw the pass to him. It was picked. Game over. Gut-wrenching loss for Arizona, and to make matters worse, Murray tweaked his ankle and might be out for a week or so. 
Steelers 15, Browns 10. Big win for the Steelers. They're not as talented as most recent years, but he figured out how to get Najee Harris going, and he ended with 91 yards and a touchdown. The Browns are struggling with all their injuries and fall to 4-4. Four and four. They need to regroup and try to ride things out long enough for people to return to try to make a run. Titans 34, Colts 31 in overtime. Titans got the win, but at what cost? Derrick Henry, their team, heart, and identity, seems to have broken his foot. Without Henry to rely on, can Tannehill get enough in the passing game to get by? Jets 34, Bengals 31. Mike White, Jets backup, had himself a day. 405 yards passing and three touchdowns, and the Jets get a much-needed second win against a solid Bengals team. Is this a flash in the pan, or can the Jets build on this? Patriots 27, Chargers 24. During the bye week, Staley confessed that the Chargers did some self-scouting. They apparently did too much of it. The Chargers' offensive identity has been based on Herbert and the passing game, sprinkled in with a little run, a lot of screens, and dumps to Eckler. This version was very predictable. Run, run, third and long, run, run, third and long. They took their weaknesses and applied it to the strengths of the Patriots' defense. It resulted in no rhythm for the offense. The Patriots, on the other hand, played this much smarter and ran the ball against the Chargers' run D that is terrible. This gave Matt Jones more confidence. Belichick won this game, but what else is new? Saints 36, Bucks 27. Even superheroes have human moments, and Tom Brady did here. He had an excellent stat day with 365 yards and four touchdowns, but wasn't able to finish the game with a win. The Saints, meanwhile, have lost Winston to an ACL tear. Trevor Simeon played very well, but this is a long-term solution. All right, Terry. So uh, to Holly's point here, Arizona, I mean, if you're a coach, <laughs> that end zone play, I mean, I don't know if you're pulling your hair or just cursing at that point. Oh, man. I watched that game, and I was just baffled. Like, obviously, I don't know what the play call was, and I don't know exactly what happened, but for A.J. Green to look like he was blocking for a run play and the ball or fly past his head for a game – Losing interception, I mean that's just brutal, man. And like, <clears throat> that's what that's why I get pissed off at like power rankings and stuff. I saw a power rankings earlier today from like one of those top, you know, websites, NFLNetwork.com or something, and they had the Packers are like number two, I think. And um, I'm just thinking like, you realize <laughs> the Cardinals drove down to like inside the five yard line like it was nothing to win the game sure. and be, only because of like a, a mishap between Kyler Murray and Jay Green that they lose that game. So I don't know. Power rankings piss me off, but yeah, it's just, that's brutal. Like the Cardinals definitely should have won Coach that game. Terry, but... uh, you do understand it's opinion based like we do it here. So it's, it really isn't much of a yeah. <laughs> reality. Yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah, I guess but as a coach, I guess, I guess it does rub you because you're, you're trying to <laughs> throw it against the chalkboard and it actually just slips. And they're like, we're not number one. Yeah. They dropped us to number yeah. five. We fool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I guess no, but, opinions, you're right. Arizona suffering their first loss. Is that, I mean, are they, I mean, do we just stay with them at this point and this coming next week? I mean, it's, it's kind of like a crucial error in a, in a way, right? And then the status of Murray has got to worry you some at this point, whether whoever's behind him, if he can't start, are they going to keep the ship, you know, 
riding the ship here at this point. So, I mean, they're seven and one, so it's not like this is a oh my god moment for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say, like as far as being worried about the Cardinals, it's yes and no. I wouldn't be worried as far as who they are, like what players they have, and how they're coached. I think that that's still in place, and they they should still be a contender in the NFC. But if Kyler Murray is out, even for just one week, that's a huge difference in the team. I mean, Kyler Murray has played arguably NFL MVP level so far this season. So not having him playing is just a huge difference for your team. And, I mean, I don't don't think – I'd be very surprised if they're able to play anywhere close to the same with whoever their backup is. This is my opinion. No, I agree. I, I that's the only thing I'm bringing up is like, if is it going to be somewhat detrimental? But not at seven and one, right? Even if they lost next week, uh, it's not going to be such a big deal. Where if they can get well, Murray back in a week or two, I'm I'm just I think it's not like, you know, it's a, a situation where they don't own the West right now. Uh, unless the, mm-hmm. unless the the Niners and and the Rams start picking up some steam, the only one that really that they're watching out for is obviously the Rams in this sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was I was looking over some stuff before the podcast tonight, and unfortunately for the Cardinals, even though they were the last undefeated team, them having that one loss, even though it was fluky, puts them kind of with some other teams now. So I think there's three teams in the NFC that have one loss. Then there's a couple other ones that have two losses that are pretty good too. And now they're kind of grouped together with those teams. And like you said, it's not the end of the world because they're probably a playoff team anyway you slice it. But it is kind of a big deal because, you know, at the end of the season, whoever gets, like, buys in the playoffs and stuff, the home field advantage, all that stuff comes down to, you know, the, the win-loss record. And so even though that loss to the Packers was super fluky, it still counts as a loss, so that could haunt them later, but we'll see. All right. Uh, we were putting the Bengals on a pedestal, and apparently this uh, backup quarterback of the Jets said, screw you, because apparently you yeah. know, that doesn't mean anything. Mike, so the Bengals right. stumble yep. to your, to your uh, uh, satisfaction or joy <laughs> to the lonely <laughs> Jets, right, yeah. to fumble away the top <laughs> spot for now in the AFC standings. Uh, so mm-hmm. your Browns lose to Pittsburgh, but the Bengals fall to the Jets. So <laughs> I guess that's the yeah. uh, I guess the blessing in disguise for you. Yeah, the Bengals losing to the Jets is pretty much the only good thing that happened on Sunday, from my perspective. Um, but I don't take much solace in that. I mean, the Browns played well enough to beat the Steelers. Baker played well enough to beat the Steelers, and unfortunately, Baker's teammates did not. Um, rise to the occasion. Let's say it that way. So it is what it is. We lost by five points, um, and so now we're four and four. So we pretty much need to win <laughs> a lot of games to have a chance at getting in the playoffs. And you know, but we made we made the bet that we're in. There's no excuses. It's NFL, next man up. And so just you know, we're kind of at the point now where excuses are, you know, just a waste of time. You just need to start winning. And so hopefully sure. we can start that this weekend against the Bengals. But the Bengals are like a wild card now because, you know, they go from beating <laughs> beating the Ravens pretty decisively to losing to the Jets. So who the hell knows what team's going to show hey, up Hey, if Sunday. you're a Jets fan, Coach, you're, you're just yeah. happy. 
to get another win. If you're Salah, <laughs> right? Sure. Right? For you're sure. just stoked. As yeah, a coach, absolutely. you're like, damn right. It doesn't matter if it was a roughing call and it was crap. I yeah. I get the I get to run the clock out right. It's like yeah. one of the oh, worst calls sure. to get, but it goes their way, yeah. you know. An unnecessary roughness yeah. call it goes their way, and they get the first win. Yeah, that's the funny funny thing about human nature. I've I've, I've noticed this. If if something goes against you, if a call goes against you, and it's a really bad call, and it has a pretty big impact on the game, that can bother you for a long time. But if there's a call that goes against the other team and it benefits you, you don't think about it twice. You're just happy that, you know, you won the game. And so it's funny how – Yeah, I don't think, like he's working I don't think he went way. to the podium and said, man, I think they made that bad call. That was a bad call. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. Yeah, he doesn't give a crap. He's just glad they won, for sure. Um, if you're this kid, Coach, you just passed for three TDs, uh, 37 completions, most ever by a player in his first NFL start. 405 yeah, yards. yards. Only yeah. Cam Newton, I guess, back in uh, in the 11. So if you're mm-hmm. if you're a Jets fan, you're like, hell yeah, this kid, this is what we want. Two decades, it's like now you get well, a life of offense. So maybe you know Mike White will uh, <laughs> be a, a what do you call it? Another win. Maybe he gets the the praise from the Jets clan, the, the gang green. Yeah, it's funny because I'm a I'm a pretty big NFL fan. Like obviously I'm a Browns fan above all else, but I'm a pretty big NFL in general. You know, like I I make NFL bets, I play fantasy football. You know, I watch football all day on Sundays. So I'm pretty you know I'm pretty well versed with, with NFL. With that being said, I have no idea who Mike White is. Never heard of him in my life until <laughs> Sunday. So that's hilarious. But to the me. Jet- so the Jets gang knows who he is because he's well, fanfare now. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now they do. Imagine yeah, your little so. kid, you know, let's bring in Mac into the conversation. Imagine if you're a, a little kid of a Jets fan, you're like, hey, that's a, that's the man right there. Yeah, <laughs> what? Mike White, ladies and gents. Yeah. Uh, Mac, uh, the Jets win. Jets win. <laughs> oh, boy. The Jets won a game for a freaking party, y'all. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, look, I'm not even going to lie to you. Look, when I saw that score, I was like, wait a minute. That's like the New York Jets, but, right? Like they play in, like, New Jersey. Like, I was like, wait a minute. Mac, that's a, Mac that's if a you're the Bengals, though, unnecessary rough call, man, you're just going off. If you're a Bengals fan, you're, like, screaming on the TV pretty much. Oh, look, if I'm a Cincy fan, I'm cussing, protesting, Whatever, like I was just like, this is not happening. I said, well, it is happening, but damn, like the Jets, like really? I mean, and like to be fair, Mike White has is kind of like an he's an he's been an Iron Man quarterback for real. Like he's never really had to step in and start. Zach Wilson's been out for two two three weeks now, and. um I feel like you're always going to get these kinds of, like, you know, I like to call them trap games, you know. You you always mm-hmm. have these kind of trap games and quarterbacks and situations like that, um, you know, with injuries, suspensions, whatever, you know, reasoning that starters can't, you know, can't go or are just unable to go. But to the Jets, like, y'all lost to the Jets. Like, they the booty cheek armpit on the NFL this season. 
And I'm just like, okay, well, I guess this is really going to be a thing right here. Um, I just, I just, I really could, I, I ain't going to lie, I started laughing. I was like. Okay, so, Mac, well, like, if, really? you're, if you're What's gangrene, that? if you're gangrene, you're going against the Colts Thursday night in the spotlight. If if White can just outshine Carson Wentz, my God! If you're a Jets fan, you're going to be three and five. <laughs> it's like an opportunity right you there, know, just heading positive. I'm I'm gonna tell you this: <laughs> if if I'm getting green and I'm going against Ginger Jesus himself, Carson Wentz over there in uh, Indy, okay? I'm t- I'm putting Ginger Jesus on notice for real, okay? I am not gonna lie to you, um, because Indy's pretty consistent right now. I'm not gonna say they're like great, good, awesome, whatever, but you know, people are watching. People are starting to speculate. Okay, you know, Colts are out here doing a little something, something. Like they're not going unnoticed, but they're not like, oh my god, you know, I got to watch them. But I mean, it's, it's Thursday night on prime time, Gang Green versus the Horseshoes. Okay, it's gonna be a good one. Uh, it, I think, to be honest. Of course, I'm going to get a lot of flack, but y'all know how I do it over here in Iowa. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take Gang Green by six. Just because they're, they're going to they're gonna be coming off a high. Yeah. They're coming off Coach, a high, y'all. Coach, like, you know, they're, they're winning. Gang Green also? You know. Mm, I don't Come know on, about Coach. that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice story. <laughs> and I'm rooting for Mike White because I'm, I'm I love underdogs. But um, the Colts So then you should just are, go for, for Gang Green. Yeah, so yeah. the Colts. I know the I know the Colts are pissed off about how they just lost that last game to Tennessee, and um, their defense is for real. I mean, I think they held Derrick Henry to like sixty yards rushing. So um, yeah, I think the Colts are going to win. Oh, but Terry, I would love for the Jets to win. If Mike White takes down the Colts on Thursday night, probably not going to be shocking, right? I mean, that's a pretty big feat. I mean, it's one thing to kind of upset the Bengals. On a very controversial officiating call, but it's another thing to beat the Colts on primetime television when they see it coming. You know what I mean? Okay, so, so if we're we're rooting for the Jets to take down the Colts, you're going for Indy at this point for Thursday night. So we're good on that. No, I think right. I think the Colts will win, though, but I, I would love the Jets to win. So all right, um, you can't have your cake and eat it too. That ain't how that goes, Coach. <laughs> Doing. <laughs> uh, but okay. My Rams taking down on the Titans. Titans coming up with that overtime win. No Derrick Henry. Opportunity for Los Angeles to really, and then you get Von Miller on top of that. So uh, could be opportunity for the Rams to kind of just play their game. No, I'm still taking Tennessee. I'll tell you why. What? Not that I don't believe. What? Can you just listen what? to me? You hush, young man. I'm speaking. Oh my hell. God! Look, what? But I'm only giving them by. I'm taking them only by three. Three. Only can stop that scary ass three. front seven. Okay. Oh my God! You, you want to know why? Here's the reason. Because they're citing a, a a legend. Okay. Um. Now, that in mind, he's a little old. Okay. And to be honest, I think hell. I think that uh, I think the Titans would have been better off calling beast mode. They probably would have had a little bit better chance to go further in the season. But AP hasn't touched the ball for a little bit, so we're gonna see. You know, we're gonna see if he can knock the rust off. Like, but like you said, y'all just got Von Miller. That's crazy. That's like, 
that is that's ridiculous. On the trade deadline, y'all picked up Vaughn Miller for damn near nothing. That's for a scary. Cheap. That's a scary front seven. That's for what, cheap. Denver gave it to us for cheap, and I'm pretty sure he's happy to go that, to the Rams versus staying in Denver. Good move, Van Miller. Oh, I see it. Good Absolutely. Move. All right, um, Coach Terry, uh, we're gonna get the the Bears taking on the Steel Town. Uh, Fields hasn't been so horrible, but can he take down the Steelers at this point? I think Nate is trying to join us. You said, what about the Bears was the question? I'm sorry. No, I was saying, do you, do you think the Bears have a shot against the Steelers here on Monday night? That's a great question. Um, Justin Fields finally uses legs versus the Niners, which was nice to see. They made it a game. Niners pulled it out. Um, I feel like the Bears are a, a decent team, but beating the Niners isn't anything to brag about. So... Them playing this, I mean, the Steelers are kind of in the same spot. You know what I mean? They're a team that's kind of playing competitively, a little, little bit over 500, but they're not playing great. They're not playing. Not, they're not scoring a lot of points. They have kind of a limited offense. So I feel like they're kind of uniquely, like in a way, they're kind of the same team. Like I know Justin Fields isn't Big Ben, but like they're they're very similar in my opinion. Like as far as how with the level of football that they're playing. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see it going either way. Of course, I'm rooting for the Bears because I'm a Browns fan. Um, but the Steelers, you know, they find a way to win, and it's really annoying. So, we'll see. All right, Mac, let's dive into this Niner-Frisco game. 7-1, and one, you lose on that bad play in the end zone if you're Arizona. The Niners coming off that win against uh, revitalized Jimmy G with uh, Mitchell at the running back. So uh, could this be the big game for San Francisco if they can beat the Cardinals? Um, I'm not betting on it because I'm not picking the car. I'm not picking 49ers to win. However, I'm a, let me just look. If, if I'm Arizona, I'm busting and screaming at AJ Green. First of all, you the the play is an inside slant for a. Why are we not turning he he I don't was know, going the home, same man. damn direction as what the freaking blaming? ball? He thought he was going home already. He thought it was good to go home already. What, well, are, you, what are you complaining all, about? First of all, anybody, anybody that knows the damn sport of football, let alone freaking Aaron <laughs> Rodgers and them stupid cheese balls over there in freaking northern ass Wisconsin, okay, anybody knows that you don't leave that – you don't give them enough time to come back, okay? And, y'all, like, the Cardinals literally had all the momentum the last minute and a half of the damn – Game. Kyler Murray and all them get you field. They get you past the field goal. No, we don't want to go for the field goal. We're going for the kill right now. We're going to set a play action inside slant. And what the hell does AJ Green do? Stand there like it's Christmas. Like, are you, look, I was, look, I didn't realize I was cussing a blue moon, cussing up a storm. I was mad as hell. Okay. They ruined, they ruined it. I was ready to talk all the mess. To them you were mad because they the ruined cheese it, so, people oh came after you. That's why you're mad. You're mad because the cheese people came after you. Cheese balls. Nobody is scaring them grated cheese balls, goons. I don't eat. Look, I hate them so much. Okay, any chance I get a, any chance I control them, I can't. Even if they win, 
Like I did. I said a Dallas Cowboys struggle win is better than a win on a Green Bay day anytime. <laughs> that's what I said. And people don't like me. I don't even care. Look, that's what I do. But talking about the game ahead right. here, okay? Let's go. Cardinals, Nate, 49ers. Nate, I'm taking is 49ers. The pa- is the pack going to take down Kansas City, or is this, this is a must win for Kansas City at this point? Aaron Rodgers goes into Kansas City and takes down Kansas, Kansas City. I mean, what do we say about the Chiefs so far? Well, for, first and foremost, I want to point out, you, you, you said that you were leaning towards San Francisco, McKenzie. I've got to be concerned about that because Arizona is going to have a chip on their shoulder for getting, you know, lucked out against Green Bay. Now, on the hold other up, side of that. McKenzie, hold on, McKenzie didn't say that. McKenzie said, I don't have no faith in the 49ers. But if the Cardinals play the way they did and A.J. Green don't turn around for a damn touchdown, almost touchdown winning ball, I'm going to have a problem. Fair enough. Now, on the other side of that, to the next matchup, let's face it, Green Bay got lucky. I mean, what what happens if he actually makes the connection? Arizona seals the deal, right? We've seen how they've been Mm -hmm. doing this year. It's been close every single step of the way, and it's been a fight every step of the way. And like you said, this is a must win for the Chiefs, and anytime it's a must win, they're gonna sh- any team is going to show up and show out and throw everything they've got into it, including the kitchen sink. I'm going to lean Kansas City. However, we know Aaron Rodgers is the king of the you know comeback secondary to Tom Brady, but he also is probably, out of the two of them right now, the more dynamic quarterback. I agree. I I'll think, give you uh, that. I, 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 I agree. Fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Mac, uh, let's not have Terry d- uh, dive into this, but Cincinnati needs a rebound game after this hor- uh, horrible call on the Jets loss. The, the Browns coming off this loss against the Steelers, Browns, Bengals. Who are you taking here? Oh, Browns and Bengals. You know, as much as I love to give Coach Terry hell, because that's what I do. I live to give people hell. You know, I think I'm going to take the Browns by six. For whatever reason, something is telling me that, like, the Browns are just going to come out and, like, throw a hailstorm at them. I just – I don't know why I feel like that, but I feel like they're going to kind of start their season over with this game. Um, Baker Mayfield has to be on. Everybody has to be on. Miles Garrett has to be on. Nick Chubb, like, everybody on the Browns has to do their part. And it kind of feels like – Everybody's doing their part, like picking and choosing. I don't know if it's, you know, because they don't have other parts. I don't know if it's because they're just in a slump. But everybody on the Browns needs to do their part and do it to the best of their ability like they normally do. If they can come out and do that, they're winning by six. I agree with that. I think so. Let me get a Holly's take before we get out of here. So let's go into Holly's take, uh, Coach, and then I'll have you respond. Here are my top matchups to watch for in the NFL for this coming weekend. Browns at Bengals. This is a must-win game for the Browns if they want to stay in the playoff hunt. The Bengals got beat by a backup quarterback last week and also need this if they want to prove they're a playoff threat. Must-win games usually result in entertaining games. Packers at Chiefs. The Packers are red hot. The Chiefs are all over the place. A win here for the Chiefs might be just what they need to regain their footing. A win for the Packers made Aaron Rodgers that much more obnoxious for just another week. Cardinals at 49ers. The Cardinals are coming off a heartbreak loss and might not have Murray. The Niners found just a little bit of oxygen to their season and must get this game to have a shot of getting back into wildcard contention. 
The first game they played was a dogfight, and this should be the same. Titans at Rams. Without Henry, what kind of offense will we see from the Titans? Will Vaughn Miller be available for the Rams? How will their defense adjust? This could be a game in which we get to learn a little bit more about the future of these two teams. All right, Coach Terry, uh, get your feedback here. Cleveland, Cincinnati, uh, more of a win for both. I mean, it's a win for both, must win for both, I think, in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be honest with you, I would love to tell you that um, the Browns are definitely going to win, but my Browns have grossly underperformed this season um, with the stacked roster. Granted, we've had injuries, but um, at this point, nothing would surprise me, Oscar. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals blew out the Browns, the Browns blew out the Bengals. It was a nail-biter down to the last minute, and, and either team barely won. Nothing would surprise me. Uh, I'm going to watch the game because I'm a real fan, win or lose. I'm obviously open for the best, but um, I have no idea, man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I wish I could be more confident about my team, but I'm a realist, and right now we're just not playing good football. All right, uh, guys, we've got two-minute warning. So, Nate, 30 seconds here. Uh, crucial game, 1-7 Texans, 1-7 Miami Dolphins. If you're a fan of both teams, man, yeah, it, this is a dreadful, dreadful season so far. Uh, it's it's a level of disappointment. I mean, you know, I, I can't say too much because Seahawks are almost to that point. But, you know, I mean, like you said, crucial matchup because this is it, – and it's it's sad to say – I mean, NFL or college football, it's kind of sad to say when you have only so many wins and you still make it in the playoffs. But, you know, it, like Coach was just saying, you know, it, it's – you know, as as a fan, you sit down for the entertainment factor at that point. You just hope for the best. And, you know, one wins, one loses at the end of the day. So <laughs> you, you yeah. pick either way and go for it. <laughs> <laughs> at the end All of the right, day, Mac, the person, uh, person watching the game. So. Sure. <laughs> Mac, uh, yeah. we got Patriots, Panthers. So same scenario here. They're 4-4. Four and four. Uh, Kind of no different than a 1-7 and seven versus 1-7, and seven, basically. Ooh, let's see, Patriots, Panthers. Uh, go with that, that 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 dude out of uh, Alabama, Matt Jones over there. Holy cow! I don't I don't know why I just I I love me Matt Jones because he was a sophomore call. That's a kid. That's a dude right there. Um, and I think even if it doesn't get you know put him into a wild card spot or a playoff spot this season, I think it makes a big mark on his rookie season as the. Um, so I'm taking the Patriots by 14. Okay, perfect. Um, so everybody, uh, thanks for Mark Simona coming in here. Give us the insights on the international scene. Uh, thanks to Rich Daniel for coming in here to give us the lowdown on the WFA DC Divas. Uh, and uh, just a great show, two hours. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast, I don't know where you're at, so go to Spotify, Apple, and iHeart. Check it out right there. Uh, go to the hub. If you want to get the lowdown on everything that's happening in sport, college football, NFL, plus women's soccer football. So for the talented and always salty Mackenzie Brooks, for Nate Ward, Terry Lister, and for the absent Holly Custis and Mark Simone, we will see you here next week for 398 as we head towards the big 400. Have a great night, everybody. Is the fastest growing daily fantasy sports site in America. You get fun, easy to play contests with cash prizes featuring your favorite players. 
Monkey Knife Fight, daily fantasy sports for the rest of us. Sign up now and get an instant match on your first deposit up to $50.